Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have Grant Weiss, who is the CEO of Rockval. Rockval is a technology uh, and data company for real estate. It has some cool capacities that we're going to learn about today. But to start, Grant, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So just for a little context, I met Grant and some of his, um, some of his team at Blueprint Conference in Las Vegas, which is... I guess the largest prop tech conference in the country. I was really excited, met a lot of cool technologies, but um, definitely thought Rockfell was one of the more fascinating and powerful ones that I can see myself using in the near term. So definitely excited to get into it. But uh, to start, Grant, what was your first milestone in real estate? Yeah, so first milestone. So, you know, I went to Cornell for finance and real estate. Uh, we were using, you know, different technologies there. But I graduated and went to a firm called the Altman Companies, uh, based out of Boca Raton. Um, I guess the first milestone is when we were closing on a deal. The deal ended up being a $150 million uh, multifamily deal. I was the analyst running, you know, the deal sheet on the on the land acquisition um, at the time. And then we were running back and forth with the performance numbers. Um but that was probably my biggest, my, my first milestone right out of school. Um, basically had to run the whole, the whole pitch on the project to all the partners, uh, which was uh, definitely memorable. Awesome. Yeah, definitely cool when you get to see all the different parts and, you know, wear a bunch of different hats and have to figure out a situation like that. So sounds good. Well, how did you know that real estate was for you? You know, where did you, where did that initial, you know, feeling or interest come from? For sure, for sure. So I grew up around it, um, you know, looking at different properties, uh, looking at, you know, a family office portfolio in New York, in Florida, um, just always been really interested in in passive income and being able to have, you know, basically your money go to work for you um, and really having like eyes on target. So, you know, not having necessarily, you know, some way of generating uh income through you know publicly traded security where you have no like you were saying before um you know you don't have access to to tim cook at, at apple right um so you know really being able to deal with tenants look at different situations for for value add opportunities but then also you know having a portfolio strategy where you can kind of continuously build and build on your your asset pool and, and compound that over time um you know, sort of even at like 16, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, triple net deals. And I just, I don't know why I was looking at it when I was 16, but I was looking at, I remember this one distinct deal. Um, it had a deli, a hair salon, um, a realtor office. It was right outside of my middle school. And I was always like, I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy that asset. And then I actually worked with somebody who ended up buying it, um, which was pretty interesting, but uh, definitely just a very dynamic industry. I'm, I'm also heavily now on the tech side, 
Um, you know, I run a company, we have, you know, a bunch of employees and we're just expanding now. So definitely a lot more tech focused at this point in my career. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, looking at triple net lease deals is a little bit cooler than I, what I was doing. I remember when I was, you know, preteen 12 or so, I, I picked up one of my mom's 90 page loan docs and read that for fun. Wanted to learn the lingo and kind of what's going on. And I uh, think looking at deals, so maybe a little more engaging than that, but uh, did learn you a lot. Born, you were born to be an attorney. I <laughs> know uh, I did. I did uh, argue a lot with both of my parents who both happened to be lawyers. <laughs> That had proved to there me why go. it was reasonable to give me any sort of punishment. <laughs> the, that's actually, you know, I talk to people now and, you know, my, my friends that are, that are lawyers now, that's actually a really good avenue for getting um, access to deals because a lot of these attorneys that, you know, have enough other capital or other cash flow, they can roll field, uh, their fees into deals and mm -hmm. basically get access to that, um, to different tranches on the equity side. So, um, yeah, no, I've seen that done quite a bit. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Um, maybe you'll even be considered a real estate professional status if you do it enough. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah. Well, now that you're, you, you've kind of transitioned on the tech side and I kind of want to hear a little bit about how that journey or how that spark came to be, or have you always had this entrepreneurial spark in you, you know, and then. You know, when was that really ignited to to go forward with your with a project in in tech and entrepreneurship? For sure, for sure. Are you uh, are you familiar with a program called Argus? Yes, I am. I'm contemplating whether I should drop one and a half k to to get the certification. <laughs> there you go. So if you work for an institution, you have to use Argus. Essentially, that's kind of the rule. Um, when I was at school, I we had to we had to you know use Argus and. I always, I was thinking, you know, I was at school, I was a bit naive at the time. Um, I was like, this, this program, you know, I can make this, I can make this better. And basically I recreated, you know, an Argus co uh, competing software. And that was the first iteration of Rockwell, but I coded it myself. So I didn't have a coding background. So nights, weekends, my early twenties, I'm coding this discounted cash flow analysis software and launched the first iteration, you know, go to market with it. And you couldn't, I couldn't give it away. I couldn't give it away. The pro the program was great. It was very, you know, sleek. It was a lot easier, but I didn't realize why people used Argus. And that was a major, a major um, revelation about a few years ago. So uh, basically people are using Argus. So you're a developer or you're a, a sponsor and you're looking to raise institutional capital and you have an Excel model and you send it to them, what could, what could happen if, if you have an Excel model and you send it to Prudential, right? Does, does, does their analyst know your Excel model? No. Absolutely not. Right? <laughs> right? But so Argus, Argus is really, it's not necessarily a, it is an under, underwriting solution, but it's also just as much as a, as a communication tool. So everybody has the exact same interpretation of what's being shared. And that's what I didn't necessarily realize when, when Argus was, uh, when I was developing this, this software to compete with Argus. Um, and then I also go to find out that a very, very small fraction of the market compared to the total real estate universe, right? So 2021, 90, over 95% of the deals that transacted were sub $10 million. 
95% of the deals. Those deals are not being underwritten in Arcus by the vast majority. It's all Excel, right? So a few years ago, we made a huge, huge pivot um, to, to having a solution that has the underwriting, but also has the data, the research, the OM creation to actually make you that much more efficient as a sponsor and investment sales broker. Um, so it wasn't enough to have like a, a cash flow analysis tool. We had to have the automation, the AI, the, the data analysis, the reports um, to really, you know, you identify an asset to purchase. We can have a, a full uh, OM package created with the financials, with all the data to support it within a few minutes um, as a professional. So really saving you hours and hours of time. Mm-hmm. Hours and hours of time. And I guess three or four people's jobs. <laughs> well, you know, the whole thing, and I, I kind of go back and forth with that. It's like, okay, you're making people more efficient, but like what real estate comes down to, because like our technology is really, our technology, the way that we've built it and the way that we keep kind of envisioning it is we want to take the thinking out of real estate. Mm-hmm. And as hard as that, as hard as that is to like, kind of under, like, you know, it's not necessarily taking jobs away, but it's, you know, real estate's really, the premise of real estate is relationships. So a lot of people, they're not going to do business with you unless you have a relationship with them. And, and, you know, having the data and the automated process to create offering packages, uh, packages to find deals, to underwrite deals. You know, this is all technology that we're currently rolling out piece by piece. You know, we already have a lot of it rolled out and we're keep, we keep rolling out additional features that automate your thinking. So like, this is the asset I want to target. What's the value add situation look like for that asset? What What's the estimated current scenario what's the value add what's the repositioning scenario what's the highest and best use who would i who would i buy this or or who the owner is what what other assets they they own what's the probability that they're willing to sell who would i look to to fund this asset which banks should i use to fund this asset that's all being automated mm-hmm. all of that all of that's being automated right now with technologies like ours um, so like, where do, you know, where do people really come in with their skill sets and their, you know, ability to really make a difference in the industry and sure you have a, you have to have an analytical ability, but I've also seen old timers that, you know, write a few numbers on the back of a piece of paper and they'll do the deal. It's like, it's some of, some of the stuff is one point one plus, you know, one equals two. Some of the stuff, if you work on a very institutional level, you have to pencil out every single detail and then, you know, if the deal makes a lot less sense, you have to do a lot more work to make it look like it makes sense. That yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, yeah, I definitely, um, in terms of the, the comment I made, is, yeah, definitely is very valuable to have a, something like Rockvale to make everyone more efficient because mm-hmm. a lot of the time that you're spending plugging in numbers and doing things that are, you know, pretty obvious, you just have to do it. You have to get the information. If you can spend less time doing that and spend more time doing the place where you actually create the value rather than just do the tasks that you have more efficient group can get more deals done can look at more deals um and overall be more productive so definitely definitely a valuable tool instead i've I've been listening to a lot of lex freeman podcast so he talks a lot about um robots and machine learning technology and you know definitely seems like 
the path you're going is like you need the human brain to be you know use that with the technology and the processing capabilities of a computer in order to get this you know really beautiful um solution that works together so it's the human intuition with the power of the computer and um i think that's a really beautiful way of putting it yeah yeah no i i agree i, I definitely agree i think human intuition is always going to be there um the relationships are always going to be there i think our industry is just changing so fast when it comes to capital sourcing you know you see fractionalized ownership we're, we're making a big play with that space as well um, where we're integrating with a lot of other platforms that basically you package the deal on RockVal, and then you're able to offshoot that to different platforms for your capital raise. Um, you know, we want every, you know, college kid at Tulane to be able to have their app out and just, you know, buy a hundred dollars worth of real estate. Right. So like all of that is just changing the game. Um, you know, I always think about now it's like, who's going to be the winner in the space or like who, you know, if you look at like the capital structures and if you fractionalize say 80% of the equity and you keep like a, you know, some type of, some type of uh, structure where you're, you know, you're the, the executor on the deal, like you're the actual uh, managing partner on the deal, but then you're able to offshoot you know, a lot of the equity or, you know, maybe the equity game is just completely divided amongst people. And then one individual is kind of appointed to be the property manager in the leasing company and then there's really no capital, you know, there's no, there's no sponsor anymore. Mm. Right. It's just, it's a group of investors who appointed a custodian to do the management, the leasing and things of that nature. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of things that, that we'll see kind of shake out over the next, you know, five, 10 years. Yeah, definitely a great time to be in real estate. It's, you know, technology has hit a lot of different sectors much faster than it hit real estate given real estate is, you know, slower deal process because, you know, it takes longer to buy an asset, a lot, you know, lot less liquidity. I think it, an interesting thing is that part of the um, outsized returns available in real estate is a, is a object of, you know, the illiquidity of the market. The fact that there's no clearing price of an asset where every asset is unique from every other asset, therefore has its own unique price. It's not like one share of Apple is like any other share of Apple. It's really, you know, this is, one apartment building with this criteria in this market right. in this exact plot of land, which no other property could be on this exact plot of land. So um, the liquidity is a, a threat maybe in terms of, you know, the, the ability to find uh, overlooked opportunities. However, it definitely would be a more efficient market with a lot more opportunities for people with less capital to get into it and, and make a, a modest, um, attractive yield. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Sweet. So I want to go back a little bit to the beginning of Rockville and kind of hear, like have you walk us through the evolution of how the how it's progressed and um you know just pick pick out some of the the moments that you think was pivotal in the in the evolution. Um, I'm definitely thinking about kind of, you know, did it start out how long was it just you? How like what was the initial team like and yeah. you know what's the team now and how's how's the culture and um you know how's everything changed? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So initially just me um, building Rockbell V1, basically an enterprise product with, you know, all these different functionalities that you would use at, you know, a bigger institution, um, building that over, 
by myself over like a three-year period again it would have taken me a lot less time if i knew how to code <laughs> just just learning how to code so i built this on a on the original technology stack um kind of got a little frustrated with it you know i i worked um you know i built some other platforms and you know worked at different companies along the way um you know rock valve you know you're talking about a nine-year a nine-year journey right now right um, so there was a year, you know, a year where it stopped six months where it stopped because, you know, building other technologies and, you know, earning money essentially. Um, but about two years ago, um, actually three years ago, it was kind of having the idea of, you know, taking the current technology and building it into what it is today and, but not doing it myself, you know, going out, raising capital. So it took about, you know, six months to get all that figured out. Uh, raised our first little bit of capital since we've raised about $2 million uh, going to be going out for, for a larger round next year um, to really take this nationwide. Um, we are, you know, we are, we have users throughout the country, but um, basically what's happened is we have this solution that's so attractive and so appealing because of what it can do. And because of the price point that you can kind of drop it into any partnership channel Um you could you could identify and that's where there's been a huge game-changing you know opportunity set with our like go-to-market strategy where we're constantly just focused on partnership channels so we're talking about mls's like uh you know these different uh listing uh, organizations like the miami border realtors for example they have sixty thousand members right uh, they have five thousand commercial members so these types of channels it are uh, have a much larger distribution than calling an individual, you know, owner or broker to sell sell our software to. So basically, our entire focus is partnership channels um, right now, and because of our product's pricing and how easy it is to use, it's kind of like, can I establish a partnership channel, and then can I make that channel successful? Can I provide that channel with enough educational materials and things of that nature to really bring it to the next level? And that's where we've built this pipeline of users that looks like hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of users through all these different channels right now. Now, basically what we're doing is we're raising a, a pretty sizable round to facilitate those channels. So we have the technology, we have the sales process defined, we've really identified and really focused in on our, our uh, target users. Um, you know, growing out the team, we have, you know, like eight people on the team now uh, we're you know hopefully adding another 10 uh, in the, over the next six months uh, between developers uh, business development um, and things of that nature uh, the other thing that i really learned in this journey is who you're getting your capital from um, is very important so people that can really add value so one of our uh, investors in the last round you know it's a it's a national nation it's a national brokerage firm uh, they have about a hundred brokers throughout the country, right? And they're growing at a good rate. So it's like, how do you how do you optimize your distribution, and how do you make your capital raise work for you to where you can have some strategic money come on board that can use your software and push that out to the market? Um, so that's kind of a a condensed version of of the last nine years of my life. <laughs> well, yeah, it's very exciting. I still think it's very impressive that you just coded it without any coding background. I actually um, started doing coding class because I wanted to have the capacity to be able to make my own minimal, minimum viable product if I ever have an epiphany like you. Um, 
you know, I don't want to have to spend whatever a hundred thousand dollars hire a coder just to try something out. And I also want to, you know, shortcut the the time process that it takes. But um, ultimately, it seems like maybe it's a who not how situation <laughs> where I know this is not my superpower, so mm -hmm. I should leave that up to someone who can do it much more efficiently and, and much more effectively than me. And um, I do want to learn it just to understand it and be able to coach people and be able to yeah. ask people what I want to build. But, you know, it's I definitely think there's people out there who, who are built to do it. For sure. For sure. And that's, that's the other thing is, is, you know, I would recommend if somebody, you know, I, I talked to a company the other day and they're like, you know, we're going to build our prototype for 250,000, right? Something, something like that. This fixed price software never works. It just, it doesn't. There's too many changing variables in software to have that type of structure. So the best bet is to have somebody who's a, who understands the industry, understands what to do, have them as like a consultant, maybe give them like some advisory shares just to like oversee what your developer is doing and then having a developer execute on the plan that was established by your advisor. But you're talking about a monthly cost. You're talking about a cost that's monthly because from the time that the project starts to the end, if you negotiate a pre-fixed contract, I've never seen it work in my life. I've never, ever seen it work. It doesn't work for the client, it doesn't work for the developer, but if you're able to say, okay, this is my budget, this developer in either local or you know overseas, say you know five to $10,000 a month, over six months, this is what we're agreeing to. You as a client, you're gonna to wanna to change things along the way, right? And basically to make it a very fluid process. So that's what I would recommend is you don't come up with some, you know, abstract fixed price. You say, okay, here's my advisor. Here's our plan. Let's start. And you take it month by month and you just set these milestones and then you as a client can flex and then they can flex. And basically you have this very fluid process rather than saying like, this is like a fixed project end to end. Um, I know that was a little bit of a rant, but if anybody's <laughs> looking to build software, uh, I, I recommend not doing the fixed approach, do month over month, see how it goes, but have right. somebody oversee what's going on. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. Definitely. And yeah, it's, um, I think this is a lesson you could take from Elon Musk, just because it should be physically possible for someone to do it in a certain amount of time. doesn't mean it's going to happen in that certain amount of time. And I think though sure. his, his timing projections are if a human worked hundred percent of the time at maximum efficiency, this is how long it would take. And it never, exactly. never works like that. It doesn't leave room for hiccups or errors or changes or, um, you know, anything. So I guess the, the last question I want to ask you before the lightning round is um, <laughs> you're, you're the CEO. Does, what does that mean for, for you in Rockville? Does that mean um, you're PR, IR engineer managing or, and you know how many hats do you wear, and how how is that how does that work? And then also, what to you, what is a good leader, and what does it mean to be a leader? Yeah, yeah. So I guess just talking about the hats. So initially, obviously, I was everything. Um, I do have somebody helping me with uh, more like high level business development. You know, we're talking to different corporates throughout the country now, and 
I bring somebody in with a lot of uh, sales experience, but you know, in terms of product product strategy, sales marketing, uh, I'm also the CTO. I'm also you know CRO, but I'm starting to fill in different gaps. So I ideally I can be a C, just a pure CEO, right? Um, I can think strategy. I can talk to customer. I can manage teams. I can hit these different milestones. Um, but you know, I'm still wearing a lot of hats. I'm still, you know, coding. I'm still, um, you know, I, I raised, you know, I raised all the all the capital for this thing, and and you know, you're communicating with investors. So, you know, fundraising is a full time job, right? And you have a, a laundry list of other things you have to do on top of just the fundraising part. So, I think uh, going back to kind of what I've learned over the over the time, it's you know, you definitely want to have a partner in this so you can split the workload um, because, you know, you're, I think we have a great team, um, but, you know, as like other people say, like nobody, nobody's going to think and care about your business the way you do. It's just, it's impossible for them to, for anybody to, to want or, or have to think about your business the way you do. Um, so having two people that, have that full that are fully bought in or three people that are fully bought in. Um, I can see where we could have scaled out a lot faster um, if that would have happened earlier. Um, leadership to me is doing the most with what you have and creating an environment that encourages people to push themselves as hard as they can um, towards a common goal. Um, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of these companies that I've seen, um, you know, they tout different, you know, hiring from, you know, top tier, like recruitment efforts in the prop tech space. Um, you know, you pay somebody $500,000 to be a CTO of a early stage startup. It's like, okay. Um, you know, you raised 5 million. If you have a few more rock stars like that, you better be so efficient to get to your next milestone or, or you're just, you're burning out of cash. And I've seen that happen a few times. Um, where, you know, these VCs will write $5 million check and say, go hit a milestone and you burn your $5 million in one year and then the capital markets shift and you can't raise your next round and then you have to let everybody go anyway. Um, so I think you there's a lot of talent that is untapped because of the lack of leaders' ability to bring out the best out of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's insightful. It seems like the the person who wins out is the guy with the five hundred thousand dollars salary, while everyone else goes exactly. home empty-handed. Exactly. <laughs> Great. So, are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. I'm ready for the lightning round. Let's do it. So, if you could choose any superpower, what would it be? Superpower. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I guess. Not having to sleep. <laughs> I don't know if that's a superpower. Definitely would. It would give you a third of your time back. Hopefully you exactly. also don't have to eat. I think eating would eat only for pleasure, not for energy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. No, no, no need for sleep would be would be amazing. <laughs> so what's your favorite book or what's the one that's helped you the most? Ah, favorite book. Favorite book. Um, the greatest salesman in the world was a really good one. Um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius was a really good one. 
Confronting the Constitution is one I'm reading right now. It's by Adam Bloom. It's super, super good. Um, yeah, no, there's too many. I just I'm go I I I'm one after another on the mm -hmm. reading. Uh, I don't I don't think there's anything else that. So I didn't I didn't really I didn't read growing up, right? I just like I don't know why. It just like you know my my fiance she she reads a book a day. She's just like she just goes and goes and goes. Um, but, but yeah, the reading in, in that, in, in my game, especially, especially when things are tough, getting into like a deep book and really reading helps like calm everything down and just kind of levels out everything. So anyways. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Meditations is one I just read a couple of months ago. Very, yeah, you know, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I love how he yeah. says that people are not going to remember you and, in, in a couple of years after you're dead, but we're talking about him 2000 years later. Um, so I thought that was well, that's, weird. <laughs> yeah. And then there's another one. There's another one I read that had that same messaging where uh, it was one of our presidents and I'm going to, I forgot who said it. It's like Eisenhower or something, but basically the premise was fill up a bucket, bucket of water, put your hand in the bucket of water take your hand out and the hole that's remaining is how much people will miss you when you're gone. There's no hole left. Right. So, so that was, I forgot which book I, I just read with the, with that, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, I guess we're still talking about Alexander great and a few others, but do you mm -hmm. really think about him out on the daily? No. Well, <laughs> I would like to say that I do think about Socrates on the daily probably <laughs> so okay. Plato. okay yeah i have an internal dialogue going on with them about what life really is but forget about that for now i, I want to know I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah it's a philosopher in me um but yeah what motivates you to continue every day on that note yeah yeah no i i love what we're doing um i think it's probably the hardest type of battle between all the different hats and between all the different things that are going on, you know, we keep opening up our opportunity and the opportunity gets bigger and bigger, but then your ability to act like your ability to execute has to keep expanding the same capacity. Um, so I, I love the challenge. I love being able to wake up and, you know, work towards some grand vision for what this company and the software and the platform can be. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's what really gets me, gets me going my my whole my whole premise is how do we get to a hundred thousand users i think that's like something i, I, I ask myself every day like how do you get to a hundred thousand users on your platform um and you know we have a few thousand now um now we're just kind of breaking into these different channels so it's like you're setting it setting a goal and working towards that goal um you know i've always i've always been a a big fan of of you know, making something very, very clear in your head or on paper, and then having these small little bite-sized pieces. It's like uh, what Benjamin Franklin said, right? So happiness is, happiness is achieved, you know, one, one small advantage at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's, uh, that's kind of the, the MO here, but I'm, I'm a big fan of philosophy as well. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, how can you not be? We all want to know how to live a good life. So it's kind of inherent in our existence. But um, yeah, I guess last question is what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? 
That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, so I already gave some advice about the technology piece. If you don't know tech, um, I would definitely learn it. Go to Udemy, you know, get a course for $14. But when I first started, Udemy wasn't a thing. Um, so, you know, being able to have a comprehensive overview um, of what's going on, diving into some books on some deep reading on, on the technology stacks, um, really getting your hands dirty, but getting started. I know a lot of people that just, people are afraid to get started. People are afraid to, um, you know, because you're talking about a long, a long journey. If you start something like this, it's a very, it's a very long process. It's not an overnight, nothing like this is overnight, right? And you think, you know, I'm going to have the next Uber app. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have the next, you know, whatever app. And it's like, really think about it. Like, how are you going to build that app? How are you going to distribute that app in the hands of all these people? And then, you know, I think about, um, there was this, I think it's like Think and Grow Rich or something like that, where um, they're talking about uh, Charles Schwab and, you know, every, all these people were pitching uh, JP Morgan on consolidating the railroads and you had the exact same pitch five, six times in a row to JP Morgan. So, so what does that tell you? Everybody had the same idea. The only person JP Morgan underwrote was Charles Schwab because he was president of us steel. And so, so when you go think about, you know, starting one of these companies, it's like, what unique value set do I have? Or what view, unique value set can I bring to the table from people that I partner with that's going to make JP Morgan underwrite my deal? And I think that was probably one of the biggest things that I've learned. It's like sophisticated investors understand that there's a problem and you might know what the solution is but what makes you different than the next guy that's coming up with the same solution and what is your unique ability to deliver on that value or your unique team's ability to deliver on your mission and you know i always go back to that jp morgan thing and i'm just like what makes me and my team unique or what pieces do i need to have a unique story so that we get underwritten for you know millions of dollars or whatever to carry out this, carry out this mission. So I'll really keep that in mind. Like this is not, you know, if you're going to be Facebook or, you know, whatever size company, you know, you have some outliers for sure that, you know, right out of college going in and, and building this tech company. Um, but it's not, you know, that's by majority, not, not the, the number of companies that really make it to the top. Right. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I would have done probably a little differently is probably not start this so young at a school. Like, sure, you have the idea and we are where we are now. Like, if I didn't start it, I don't know if this would have ever started. I would have probably had a very traditional um, career path. But really taking the time to appreciate what senior people have done in their career and living that life when you're first starting out on your career as being just very humble. And that's something that I, I had to acquire or let's say life beat it out of me. Life made mm -hmm. me, life beat me until I, I had to accept 
help from other people. I had to start looking at other people for help and, and really appreciating what they bring to the table. Um, one of the other things that I know this is kind of a tangent, but it's very rare that people, when people, when people willingly reach out to you and reach out to other people on your behalf to help you, it's a, it's a very rare thing. So when you meet people like that, that you can latch on to that actually have your personal interest in mind. And you, know, you even have people, you know, if you think about, you know, your family or, or what have you, and you have, you know, total strangers and sometimes where they're just helping you, you know, and they've been, they've been there in their career and things of that nature. Like those are the types of people that you really want to surround yourself with because then they're, they want to help you and they want to get you to the next level and things of that nature. So, um, the other thing I would say, last thing I want to say, I know this is a pretty long rant is do not do this in isolation. Um, you know, a 30 minute conversation has changed my life on multiple occasions for the better and has repositioned things and, and, and introduced me to, uh, additional investors or, uh, team members and things of that nature. So doing this in isolation is very, very dangerous, especially if you don't have like a, like an infrastructure, like I get like, you know, if you're a tech company or if you're a tech guy and, or gal and you have this infrastructure and you can put things together and get it to market. Sure. But, and you want to be like super secretive of what you're building. Um, I think that's fine. But if you're just starting out talking to everybody and really getting those, that advice and bringing that into your kind of process is probably one of the biggest things that I did not do for those first few years. Um, because guess what? I had to rebuild everything from scratch after the fact, right? Um, sure, I was a lot faster at doing it, but because I was so siloed and I was just like, I'm going to compete with this one company, I missed the mark on where the opportunity really was. So. Right. And well, before you start sharing, make sure to buy your domain. But otherwise, you definitely, <laughs> definitely got to share. Well, great. So, one more thing, since I give you, since I put, since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So, what's one question you have for me? Uh, let's go. Um, so let's go. Let's go. Um, why did you start the podcast? Yeah. So, I've been playing around with the idea for a while. I had a lot of role models who had podcasts that I'd hear and say, "Wow, that's really helpful. Learning a lot." Isn't it? awesome how they get to ask questions to these amazing interesting people um why can i do that too um so definitely that was part of it is that having the opportunity to um you know not only just reach out to people to ask some questions but also say if you want we could put this in front of the world and you can get your message out to a greater audience and it allows me to um kind of you know give people a platform to tell the world what they want to hear and also gives me a chance to ask questions of them in a mutually beneficial relationship just by the, the nature of it. Um, so that's definitely a big catalyst for why I started, but really it's just my curiosity got the best of me and uh, I wanted to just scale up my ability to, to learn and, um, you know, go directly to the source. And it's um, definitely the hardest part about the beginning was feeling like I hadn't found my voice. So who's going to listen to me? And then I realized that you have, in order to find your voice, you have to use it. So I'm glad that my friend Adam Carswell pushed me to start and press record because, um, you know, now I've kind of 
you know, started to get my flow with it and, and understand um, and learn a lot about public speaking. And um, it's just, it's great to, it's a great way to network as well. Cause um, you know, people can get engaged with your content on LinkedIn and on, on different, uh, different platforms. So um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of reasons. And um, my advice how many, to anyone. Hmm? I was just gonna, how many, how many students at Tulane have a podcast? I do not know of anyone who has a podcast, but I do know some people who think about starting a podcast after hearing mine. I tell them, press record. That's the best advice I could give you to or give to anyone who's thinking about starting a podcast. Um, you know, even if you don't end up posting it, practicing speaking and you know figuring out and you know playing around is interesting. But um, what's the worst that could happen if you you post it? You know. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's really powerful, especially right out of college. And if you just keep doing this in your career, you know, I couldn't imagine in 20 years what, what this looks like. Yeah. You know, that's another big thing. I see myself being in, you know, having success in the future, um, however that may be defined, but I imagine a 20 and 18 year old kid looking at, Ben say, hey, Ben, maybe I'm the news for some reason. Say, wow, isn't he so successful? He's special. He's different. Like he's so I I can never do that. How he's so he's some some innate ability that makes him great. I want them to go all the way back to the first episode and see how rough it was. How all I was was a curious college student who decided to press record and ask people questions about something they're interested in, and that's where it led. It's not because I'm have some innate superpower, but it's really because I took repeated action consistently every day for the last 20 years. And that's what it takes. That is and, that, but that is a superpower. It's, well, it's rare. It, no, it's rare. It's, it is so rare. It's so mm-hmm. simple. It's simple. Mm-hmm. It's very simple, but it's rare. Yeah. Well, there's a, I guess there's a misconception that simple equals easy, but definitely right. not the same thing. You know, it's, it's hard to be consistent every week, it's time consuming process, but it's rewarding. And, you know, whenever you have your, your doubt, it's like, you know, I'm spending a lot of time doing this. Shouldn't I be like doing something else, whatever it could be. Um, obviously right. there's always a voice in your head that you're fighting with, but um, then one person's like, wow, thank you for that episode. That was really insightful. I learned a lot. I could just imagine someone, learning about something they've never even known about like Rockwell and saying, wow, if I didn't know, I didn't hear the story of someone who started technology and something they're interested in. I mean, I've never, you know, had the, you know, the feeling or the confidence to do it, but now that I know it's possible, you know, just the amount of people I am, this may be able to impact is something that um, keeps me going. And, and every little glimpse of that is, is really re- rewarding. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Well, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to hear your story and learn a little bit about Rockville. Um, definitely excited to check it out. Um, you know, lastly, where can people find you if they want to learn more? So it's Rockville, R-O-C-K-V-A-L.com. Um, we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, um, but yeah, if you go to our website, you kind of get an overview of the whole platform. If you are a college student, you get access to the platform for free. Uh, just reach out to 
let's say grant at rockbell.com and I'll put you in the right direction. Awesome. Well, definitely excited about that for myself and for, for the people I uh, work with at school. And um, well, Grant and everyone, keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support and keep making milestones. The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.